chapter one of the red man's continent this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by jim locke of floyd virginia the red man's continent by ellsworth huntington chapter one the approaches to america across the twilight lawn at hampton institute straggles a group of sturdy young men with copper-hued complexions their day has been devoted to farming carpentry blacksmithing or some other trade their evening will be given to study those silent dignified indians with straight black hair and broad strong features are training their hands and minds in the hope that some day they may stand beside the white man as equals behind them laughing gaily and chattering as if without a care in the world comes a larger group of kinky-haired thick-lipped youths with black skins and african features they too have been working with the hands to train the mind those two diverse races red and black sit down together in a class-room and to them comes another race the faces that were expressionless or merely mirthful a minute ago light up with serious interest as the teacher comes into the room she stands there a slender golden-haired blue-eyed anglo-saxon girl just out of college a mere child compared with the score of swarthy stalwart men as old as herself who sit before her her mobile features seem to mirror a hundred thoughts while their impassive faces are moved by only one her quick speech almost trips in its eagerness not to waste the short precious hour only a strong effort holds her back while she waits for the slow answers of the young men whom she drills over and over again in simple problems of arithmetic the class and the teacher are an epitome of american history they are more than that they are an epitome of all history history in its broadest aspect is a record of man's migrations from one environment to another america is the last grand goal of these migrations he who would understand its history must know its mountains and plains its climate its products and its relation to the sea and to other parts of the world he must know more than this however for he must appreciate how various environments alter man's energy and capacity and give his character a slant in one direction or another he must also know the paths by which the inhabitants have reached their present homes for the influence of former environments upon them may be more important than their immediate surroundings in fact the history of north america has been perhaps more profoundly influenced by man's inheritance from his past homes than by the physical features of his present home it is indeed of vast importance that trade can move freely through such natural channels as new york harbor the mohawk valley and the great lakes 
it is equally important that the eastern highlands of the united states are full of the world's finest coal while the central plains raise some of the world's most lavish crops yet it is probably even more important that because of his inheritance from a remote ancestral environment man is energetic inventive and long-lived in certain parts of the american continent while elsewhere he has not the strength and mental vigor to maintain even the degree of civilization to which he seems to have risen three streams of migration have mainly determined the history of america one was an ancient and comparatively insignificant stream from asia it brought the indian to the two great continents which the white man has now practically wrested from him a second and later stream was the great tide which rolled in from europe it is as different from the other as west is from east thus far it has not wholly obliterated the native people for between the southern border of the united states on the one hand and the northern borders of argentina chile and uruguay on the other the vast proportion of the blood is still indian the european tide may in time dominate even this region but for centuries to come the poor disinherited indians will continue to form the bulk of the population the third stream flowed from africa and was as different from either of the others as south is from north the differences between one and another of these three streams of population and the antagonisms which they have involved have greatly colored american history the indian the european and the negro apparently differ not only in outward appearance but in the much more important matter of mentality according to brinton the average brain capacity of parisians including adults of both sexes is one thousand four hundred and forty eight cubic centimetres that of the american indian is one thousand three hundred and seventy six and that of the negro one thousand three hundred and forty four cubic centimetres with this difference in size there appears to be a corresponding difference in function thus far not enough accurate tests have been made upon indians to enable us to draw reliable conclusions the negro however has been tested on an extensive scale the results seem to leave little doubt that there are real and measurable differences in the mental powers of races just as we know to be the case among individuals the matter is so important that we may well dwell on it a moment before turning to the cause of the differences in the three streams of american immigrants if there is a measurable difference between the inherent brain power of the white race and the black it is practically certain that there are also measurable differences between the white and the red numerous tests indicate that in the lower mental powers there is no great difference between the black and the white in physical reactions one is as quick as the other in the capacity of the senses and in the power to perceive and to discriminate between different kinds of objects there is also practical equality when it comes to the higher faculties however such as judgment inventiveness and the power of organization a difference begins to be apparent 
these as ferguson says are the traits that divide mankind into the able and the mediocre the brilliant and the dull and they determine the progress of civilization more directly than do the simple fundamental powers which man has in common with the lower animals on the basis of the most exhaustive study yet made ferguson believes that apart from all differences due to home training and environment the average intellectual power of the colored people of this country is only about three-fourths as great as that of white persons of the same amount of training he believes it probable indeed that this estimate is too high rather than too low as to the indian his past achievements and present condition indicate that intellectually he stands between the white man and the negro in about the position that would be expected from the capacity of his brain if this is so the mental differences in the three streams of migration to america are fully as great as the outward and manifest physical differences and far more important why does the american indian differ from the negro and the european from both this is a question on which we can only speculate but we shall find it profitable to study the paths by which these diverse races found their way to america from man's primeval home according to the now almost universally accepted theory all the races of mankind had a common origin but where did man make the change from a four-handed tree-dwelling little ape to a much larger upright creature with two hands and two feet it is a mistake to suppose that because he is hairless he must have originated in a warm climate in fact quite the opposite seems to be the case for apparently he lost his hair because he took to wearing the skins of slain beasts in order that he might have not only his own hair but that of other animals as a protection from the cold in our search for the starting-place of man's slow migration to america our first step should be to ascertain what responses to physical environment are common to all men if we find that all men live and thrive best under certain climatic conditions it is fair to assume that those conditions prevailed in man's original home and this conclusion will enable us to cast out of the reckoning the regions where they do not prevail a study of the relations of millions of deaths to weather conditions indicates that the white race is physically at its best when the average temperature for night and day ranges from about fifty degrees to seventy three degrees fahrenheit and when the air is neither extremely moist nor extremely dry in addition to these conditions there must be not only seasonal changes but frequent changes from day to day such changes are possible only where there is a distinct winter and where storms are of frequent occurrence the best climate is therefore one where the temperature ranges from not much below the freezing point at night in winter to about eighty degrees fahrenheit by day in summer and where the storms which bring daily changes are frequent at all seasons surprising as it may seem this study indicates that similar conditions are best for all sorts of races finns from the arctic circle and italians of sunny sicily have the best health and greatest energy under practically the same conditions so too with frenchmen japanese and americans
most surprising of all the african black man in the united states is likewise at his best in essentially the same kind of weather that is most favourable for his white fellow-citizens and for finns italians and other races for the red race no exact figures are available but general observation of the indian's health and activity suggests that in this respect he is at one with the rest of mankind for the source of any characteristic so widespread and uniform as this adaptation to environment we must go back to the very beginning of the human race such a characteristic must have become firmly fixed in the human constitution before primitive man became divided into races or at least before any of the races had left their original home and started on their long journey to america on the way to this continent one race took on a dark reddish or brownish hue and its hair grew straight and black another became black-skinned and crinkly-haired while a third developed a white skin and wavy blond hair yet throughout the thousands of years which brought about these changes all the races apparently retained the indelible constitutional impress of the climate of their common birthplace man's physical adaptation to climate seems to be a deep-seated physiological fact like the uniformity of the temperature of the blood in all races just as a change in the temperature of the blood brings distress to the individual so a change of climate apparently brings distress to a race again and again to be sure on the way to america and under many other circumstances man has passed through the most adverse climates and has survived but he has flourished and waxed strong only in certain zones curiously enough man's body and his mind appear to differ in their climatic adaptations moreover in this respect the black race and perhaps the red appears to be diverse from the white in america an investigation of the marks of students at west point and annapolis indicates that the best mental work is done when the temperature averages not much above forty degrees fahrenheit for night and day together tests of school children in denmark point to a similar conclusion on the other hand daily tests of twenty-two negroes at hampton institute for sixteen months suggest that their mental ability may be greatest at a temperature only a little lower than that which is best for the most efficient physical activity no tests of this sort have ever been made upon indians but such facts as the inventiveness of the eskimo the artistic development of the people of northern british columbia and southern alaska and the relatively high civilization of the cold regions of the peruvian plateau suggest that the indian in this respect is more like the white race than the black perhaps man's mental powers underwent their chief evolution after the various races had left the aboriginal home in which the physical characteristics became fixed thus the races though alike in their physical response to climate may possibly be different in their mental response because they have approached america by different paths before we can understand how man may have been modified on his way from his original home to america we must inquire as to the geographical situation of that home 
judging by the climate which mankind now finds most favourable the human race must have originated in the temperate regions of europe asia or north america we are not entirely without evidence to guide to a choice of one of the three continents there is a scarcity of indications of pre-glacial man in the new world and an abundance of such indications in the old to be sure several skulls found in america have been supposed to belong to a time before the last glacial epoch in every case however there has been something to throw doubt on the conclusion for instance some human bones found at vero in florida in nineteen fifteen seem to be very old certain circumstances however suggest that possibly they may not really belong to the layers of gravel in which they were discovered but may have been inserted at some later time in the old world on the contrary no one doubts that many human skulls and other parts of skeletons belong to the interglacial epoch preceding the last glacial epoch while some appear to date from still more remote periods therefore no matter at what date man may have come to america it seems clear that he existed in the old world much earlier this leaves us to choose between europe and asia the evidence points to central asia as man's original home for the general movement of human migrations has been outward from that region and not inward so too with the great families of mammals as we know from fossil remains from the earliest geological times the vast interior of asia has been the great mother of the world the source from which the most important families of living things have come suppose then that we place in central asia the primitive home of the thin-skinned hairless human race with its adaptation to a highly variable climate with temperatures ranging from freezing to eighty degrees man could not stay there forever he was bound to spread to new regions partly because of his innate migratory tendency and partly because of nature's stern urgency geologists are rapidly becoming convinced that the mammals spread from their central asian point of origin largely because of great variations in climate such variations have taken place on an enormous scale during geological times they seem indeed to be one of the most important factors in evolution since early man lived through the successive epochs of the glacial period he must have been subject to the urgency of vast climatic changes during the half million years more or less of his existence cold stormy glacial epochs lasting tens of thousands of years have again and again been succeeded by warm dry interglacial epochs of equal duration during the glacial epochs the interior of asia was well watered and full of game which supplied the primitive human hunters with the advent of each interglacial epoch the rains diminished grass and trees disappeared and the desert spread over enormous tracts both men and animals must have been driven to sore straits for lack of food migration to better regions was the only recourse thus for hundreds of thousands of years there appears to have been a constantly recurring outward push from the centre of the world's greatest land-mass 
that push with the consequent overcrowding of other regions seems to have been one of the chief forces impelling people to migrate and cover the earth among the primitive men who were pushed outward from the asian deserts during a period of aridity one group migrated northeastward toward the kamchatkan corner of asia whether they reached bering sea and the kamchatkan shore before the next epoch of glaciation we do not know doubtless they moved slowly perhaps averaging only a few score or a hundred miles per generation for that is generally the way with migrations of primitive people advancing into unoccupied territory yet sometimes they must have moved with comparative rapidity i have seen a tribe of herdsmen in central asia abandon its ancestral home and start on a zigzag march of a thousand miles because of a great drought the grass was so scanty that there was not enough to support the animals the tribe left a trail of blood for wherever it moved it infringed upon the rights of others and so with conflict was driven onward in some such way the primitive wanderers were kept in movement until at last they reached the bleak shores of the north pacific even there something perhaps sheer curiosity still urged them on the green island across the bay may have been so enticing that at last a raft of logs was knotted together with stout withes perhaps at first the men paddled themselves across alone but the hunting and fishing proved so good that at length they took the women and children with them and so advanced another step along the route toward america at other times distress strife or the search for game may have led the primitive nomads on and on along the coast until a day came when the asian home was left and the new world was entered the route by which primitive man entered america is important because it determined the surroundings among which the first americans lived for many generations it has sometimes been thought that the red men came to america by way of the curile islands kamchatka and the aleutian islands if this was their route they avoided a migration of two or three thousand miles through one of the coldest and most inhospitable of regions this however is far from probable the distance from kamchatka to the first of the aleutian islands is over one hundred miles as the island is not in sight from the mainland there is little chance that a band of savages including women would deliberately sail thither there is equally little probability that they walk to the island on the ice for the sea is never frozen across the whole width nevertheless the climate may at that time have been colder than now there is also a chance that a party of savages may have been blown across to the island in a storm suppose that they succeeded in reaching bering island as the most asiatic of the aleutians is called the next step to copper island would be easy then however there comes a stretch of more than two hundred miles the chances that a family would ever cross this waste of ocean are much smaller than in the first case still another possibility remains was there once a bridge of land from asia to america in this region there is no evidence of such a link between the two continents for a few raised beaches indicate that during recent geological times the aleutian islands have been uplifted rather than depressed 
the passage from asia to america at bering strait on the other hand is comparatively easy the strait itself is fifty-six miles wide but in the middle there are two small islands so that the longest stretch of water is only about thirty-five miles moreover the strait is usually full of ice which frequently becomes a solid mass from shore to shore therefore it would be no strange thing if some primitive savages in hunting for seals or polar bears crossed the strait even though they had no boats to-day the people on both sides of the strait belong to the american race they still retain traditions of a time when their ancestors crossed this narrow strip of water the thelanotines have a legend that two giants once fought fiercely on the arctic ocean one would have been defeated had not a man whom he had befriended cut the tendon of his adversary's leg the wounded giant fell into bering strait and formed a bridge across which the reindeer entered america later came a strange woman bringing iron and copper she repeated her visits until the natives insulted her whereupon she went underground with her fire-made treasures and came back no more whatever may have been the circumstances that led the earliest families to cross from asia to america they little recked that they had found a new continent and that they were the first of the red race unless the first americans came to the new continent by way of the curile and aleutian islands it was probably their misfortune to spend many generations in the cold regions of northeastern asia and northwestern america even if they reached alaska by the aleutian route but came to the islands by way of the northern end of the kamchatkan peninsula they must have dwelt in a place where the january temperature averages minus ten degrees fahrenheit and where there are frosts every month in the year if they came across bering strait they encountered a still more severe climate the winters there are scarcely worse than in northern kamchatka but the summers are as cold as the month of march in new york or chicago perhaps a prolonged sojourn in such a climate is one reason for the stolid character of the indians of course we cannot speak with certainty but we must in our search for an explanation consider the conditions of life in the far north food is scanty at all times and starvation is a frequent visitor especially in winter when game is hard to get the long periods of cold and darkness are terribly enervating the nervous white man goes crazy if he stays too long in alaska every spring the first boats returning to civilization carry an unduly large proportion of men who have lost their minds because they have endured too many dark cold winters his companions say of such a man the north has got him almost every alaskan recognizes the danger as one man said to a friend it is time i got out of here why said the friend you seem all right what's the matter well said the other you see i begin to like the smell of skunk cabbage and when a man gets that way it's time he went somewhere else the skunk cabbage by the way grows in alaska in great thickets ten feet high the man was perfectly serious for he meant that his mind was beginning to act in ways that were not normal nowhere is the strain of life in the far north better described than in the poems of robert w service 
oh the awful hush that seemed to crush me down on every hand as i blundered blind with a trail to find through that blank and bitter land half dazed half crazed in the winter wild with its grim heart-breaking woes and the ruthless strife for a grip on life that only the sourdough knows north by the compass north i pressed river and peak and plain passed like a dream i slept to lose and waked to dream again river and plain and mighty peak and who could stand unawed as their summits blazed he could stand undazed at the foot of the throne of god north i north through a land accursed shunned by the scouring brutes and all i heard was my own harsh word and the whine of the malamutes till at last i came to a cabin squat built in the side of a hill and i burst in the door and there on the floor frozen to death lay bill the human organism inherits so delicate an adjustment to climate that in spite of man's boasted ability to live anywhere the strain of the frozen north eliminates the more nervous and active types of mind only those can endure whose nerves lack sensitiveness and who are able to bear long privation and the strain of hunger and cold and darkness though the indian may differ from the white man in many respects such conditions are probably as bad for him as for any race for this reason it is not improbable that long sojourns at way-stations on the cold alaskan route from central asia may have weeded out certain types of minds perhaps that is why the indian though brave stoical and hardy does not possess the alert nervous temperament which leads to invention and progress the ancestors of the red man unwittingly chose the easiest path to america and so entered the continent first but this was their misfortune they could not inherit the land because they chose a path whose unfavorable influence exerted throughout centuries left them unable to cope with later arrivals from other directions the parts of america most favorable for the indian are also best for the white man and negro there the alerter minds of the europeans who migrated in the other direction have quickly eliminated the indian his long northern sojourn may be the reason why farther south in tropical lands he is even now at a disadvantage compared with the negro or with the coolie from the east indies in central america for instance it is generally recognized that negroes stand the heat and moisture of the lowlands better than indians according to a competent authority the american indians cannot bear the heat of the tropics even as well as the european not to speak of the african race they perspire little their skin becomes hot and they are easily prostrated by exertion in an elevated temperature they are peculiarly subject to diseases of hot climates as hepatic disorders showing none of the immunity of the african furthermore the finest physical specimens of the race are found in the colder regions of the temperate zones the pampas and patagonian indians in the south the iroquois and algonquins in the north whereas in the tropics they are generally undersized short-lived of inferior muscular force and with slight tolerance of disease 
no one adds another observer could live among the indians of the upper amazon without being struck with their constitutional dislike to heat the impression forced itself upon my mind that the indian lives as a stranger or immigrant in these hot regions thus when compared with the other inhabitants of america from every point of view the indian seems to be at a disadvantage much of which may be due to the path which he took from the old world to the new before the red man lost his american heritage he must have enjoyed it for thousands upon thousands of years otherwise he never could have become so different from his nearest relative the mongol the two are as truly distinct races as are the white man and the malay nor could the indians themselves have become so extraordinarily diverse except during the lapse of thousands of years the quinchua of the cold highlands of peru is as different from the maya of yucatan or the huron of southern canada as the swede is from the armenian or the jew the separation of one stock from another has gone so far that almost countless languages have been developed in the united states alone the indians have fifty-five families of languages and in the whole of america there are nearly two hundred such groups these comprise over one thousand distinct languages which are mutually unintelligible and at least as different as spanish and italian such differences might arise in a day at the tower of babel but in the processes of evolution they take thousands of years during those thousands of years the red man in spite of his arctic handicap by no means showed himself wholly lacking in originality and inventive ability in yucatan two or three thousand years ago the mayas were such good scientists and recorded their observations of the stars so accurately that they framed a calendar more exact than any except that one that we have used for the last two centuries they showed still greater powers of mind in inventing the art of writing and in their architecture later we shall depict the environment under which these things occurred it is enough to suggest in passing that perhaps at this period the ancestors of the indians had capacities as great as those of any people to-day they might possibly hold their own against the white man were it not for the great handicap which they once suffered because asia approaches america only in the cold depressing north the indians were not the only primitive people who were driven from central asia by aridity another group pushed westward toward europe they fared far better than their indian cousins who went to the northeast these prospective europeans never encountered benumbing physical conditions like those of northeastern asia and northwestern america even when ice shrouded the northern part of europe the rest of the continent was apparently favored with a stimulating climate then as now europe was probably one of the regions where storms are most frequent hence it was free from the monotony which is so deadly in other regions when the ice retreated our european ancestors doubtless followed slowly in its wake thus their racial character was evolved in one of the world's most stimulating regions privation they must have suffered and hardihood and boldness were absolutely essential in the combat with storms cold wild beasts 
fierce winds and raging waves but under the spur of constant variety and change these difficulties were merely incentives to progress when the time came for the people of the west of europe to cross to america they were of a different calibre from the previous immigrants two facts of physical geography brought europe into contact with america one of these was the islands of the north the other the trade winds of the south each seems to have caused a preliminary contact which failed to produce important results as in the northern pacific so in the northern atlantic islands are stepping-stones from the old world to the new yet because in the latter case the islands are far apart it is harder to cross the water from norway and the lofoten islands to iceland and greenland than it is to cross from asia by way of the aleutian islands or bering strait nevertheless in the tenth century of the christian era bold norse vikings made the passage in the face of storm and wind in their slender open ships they braved the elements on voyage after voyage we think of the vikings as pirates and so they were but they were also diligent colonists who tilled the ground wherever it would yield even the scantiest living in iceland and greenland they must have laboured mightily to carry on the farms of which the sagas tell us when they made their voyages honest commerce was generally in their minds quite as much as was plunder leif the son of that rough red eric who first settled greenland made a famous voyage to vinland the mainland of america like so many other voyagers he was bent on finding a region where men could live happily and on filling his boats with grapes wood or other commodities worth carrying home in view of the energy of the norsemen the traces of their presence in the western hemisphere are amazingly slight in greenland a few insignificant heaps of stones are supposed to show where some of them built small villages far in the north stephenson found fair-haired blue-eyed eskimos these may be descendants of the norsemen although they have migrated thousands of miles from greenland in maine the micmac indians are said to have had a curious custom which they may have learned from the vikings when a chief died they chose his largest canoe on it they piled dry wood and on the wood they placed the body then they set fire to the pile and sent the blazing boat out to sea perhaps in earlier times the micmacs once watched the flaming funeral pyre of a fair-haired viking as the ruddy flames leaped skyward and were reflected in the shimmering waves of the great waters the tribesmen must have felt that the great spirit would gladly welcome a chief who came in such a blaze of glory it seems strange that almost no other traces of the strong vikings are found in america the explanation lies partly in the length and difficulty of the ocean voyage and partly in the inhospitable character of the two great islands that served as stepping-stones from the old world to the new iceland with its glaciers storms and long dreary winters is bad enough greenland is worse merely the tip of that island was known to the norse and small wonder for then as now most of greenland was shrouded in ice 
various scandinavian authors however have thought that during the most prosperous days of the vikings the conditions in greenland were not quite so bad as at the present day one settlement oster biden numbered one hundred and ninety farms twelve churches two monasteries and one bishopric it is even stated that apple trees bore fruit and that some wheat was raised cattle raising and fishing says pedersen appear to have procured a good living at present the whole stock of cattle in greenland does not amount to one hundred animals in those days the ice which borders all the east coast and much of the west seems to have been less troublesome than now in the earliest accounts nothing is said of this ice as a danger to navigation we are told that the best sailing route was through the strait north of cape farewell island where to-day no ships can pass because of the ice since the days of the norsemen the glaciers have increased in size for the natives say that certain ruins are now buried beneath the ice while elsewhere ruins can be seen which have been cut off from the rest of the country by advancing glacial tongues why the norsemen disappeared from the western hemisphere we do not exactly know but there are interesting hints of an explanation it appears that the fourteenth century was a time of great distress in norway the crops failed year after year because of cold and storms provinces which were formerly able to support themselves by agriculture were obliged to import food the people at home were no longer able to keep in touch with the struggling colony in greenland no supplies came from the homeland no reinforcements to strengthen the colonists and make them feel that they were a part of the great world moreover in the late norse sagas much is said about the ice along the greenland coast which seems to have been more abundant than formerly even the eskimos seem to have been causing trouble though formerly they had been a friendly peaceable people who lived far to the north and did not disturb the settlers in the fourteenth century however they began to make raids such as are common when primitive people fall into distress perhaps the storms and the advancing ice drove away the seals and other animals so that the eskimos were left hungry they consequently migrated south and in the fifteenth century finally wiped out the last of the old norse settlers if the norse had established permanent settlements on the mainland of north america they might have persisted to this day as it was the cold bleak climate of the northern route across the atlantic checked their progress like the indians they had the misfortune of finding a route to america through regions that are not good for man though islands may be stepping-stones between the old world and the new they have not been the bringers of civilization that function in the history of man has been left to the winds the westerlies however which are the prevailing winds in the latitude of the united states and europe have not been of much importance on the atlantic side they were for many centuries a barrier to contact between the old world and the new on the pacific side they have been known to blow japanese vessels to the shores of america contrary to the will of the mariners perhaps the same thing may have happened in earlier times asia may thus have made some slight contribution to primitive america but no important elements of civilization can be traced to this source 
from latitude thirty degrees north to thirty degrees south the trade winds prevail as they blow from the east they make it easy for boats to come from africa to america in comparatively recent times they brought the slave ships from the guinea coast to our southern states the african like the indian has passed through a most unfavourable environment on his way from central asia to america for ages he was doomed to live in a climate where high temperature and humidity weed out the active type of human being since activity like that of europe means death in a tropical climate the route by way of africa has been if anything worse than by bering strait by far the most important occurrence which can be laid at the door of the trade winds is the bringing of the civilization of europe and the mediterranean to the new world twice this may have happened but the first occurrence is doubtful and left only a slight impress for thousands of years the people around the mediterranean sea have been bold sailors before six hundred b c pharaoh necho so herodotus says had sent phoenician ships on the three-year cruise entirely around africa the phoenicians also sailed by way of gibraltar to england to bring tin from cornwall and by five hundred b c the carthaginians were well acquainted with the atlantic coast of northern africa at some time or other long before the christian era a ship belonging to one of the peoples of the eastern mediterranean was probably blown to the shores of america by the steady trade winds of course no one can say positively that such a voyage occurred yet certain curious similarities between the old world and the new enable us to infer with a great deal of probability that it actually happened the mere fact for example that the adobe houses of the pueblo indians of new mexico are strikingly like the houses of northern africa and persia is no proof that the civilization of the old world and the new are related a similar physical environment might readily cause the same type of house to be evolved in both places when we find striking similarities of other kinds however the case becomes quite different the constellations of the zodiac for instance are typified by twelve living creatures such as the twins the bull the lion the virgin the crab and the goat only one of the constellations the scorpion presents any real resemblance to the animal for which it is named yet the signs of the zodiac in mediterranean lands and in pre-columbian america from peru to southern mexico are almost identical here is a list showing the latin and english names of the constellations and their equivalents in the calendars of the peruvians mexicans and mayas sign aries english ram peruvian llama mexican flayer maya blank taurus english bull originally stag peruvian stag mexican stag or deer maya stag gemini english twins peruvian man and woman mexican twins maya two generals cancer english crab peruvian cuttlefish mexican cuttlefish maya cuttlefish leo english lion peruvian puma mexican ocelot maya ocelot virgo 
english virgin mother goddess of cereals peruvian maize mother mexican maize mother maya maize mother libra english scales originally part of scorpio peruvian forks mexican scorpion maya scorpion scorpio english scorpion peruvian mummy mexican scorpion maya scorpion sagittarius english bowman peruvian arrows or spears mexican hunter and war god maya hunter and war god capricornus english sea goat peruvian beard mexican bearded god maya blank aquarius english water pourer peruvian water mexican water maya water pisces english fishes and knot peruvian knot mexican twisted reeds maya blank notice how closely these lists are alike the ram does not appear in america because no such animal was known there the nearest substitute was the llama in the old world the second constellation is now called the bull but curiously enough in earlier days it was called the stag in mesopotamia the twins instead of being castor and pollux may equally well be a man and a woman or two generals to landsmen not familiar with creatures of the deep the crab and the cuttlefish would not seem greatly different the lion is unknown in america but the creature which most nearly takes his place is the puma or ocelot so it goes with all the signs of the zodiac there are little differences between the old world and the new but they only emphasize the resemblance mathematically there is not one chance in thousands or even millions that such a resemblance could grow up by accident other similarities between ceremonies or religious words in the old world and the new might be pointed out but the zodiac is illustration enough such resemblances however do not indicate a permanent connection between mediterranean civilization and that of central america they do not even indicate that any one ever returned from the western hemisphere to the eastern previous to columbus nor do they indicate that the civilization of the new world arose from that of the old they simply suggest that after the people of the mediterranean regions had become well civilized and after those of america were also sufficiently civilized to assimilate new ideas a stray ship or two was blown by the trade winds across the atlantic that hypothetical voyage was the precursor of the great journey of columbus without the trade winds this historic discoverer never could have found the west indies suppose that a strong west wind had blown him backward on his course when his men were mutinous suppose that he had been forced to beat against headwinds week after week is there one chance in a thousand that even his indomitable spirit could have kept his craft headed steadily into the west but because there were the trade winds to bring him the way was opened for the energetic people of europe to possess the new continent thus the greatest stream of immigration commenced to flow and the new world began to take on a european aspect 
End of chapter one. Recording by Jim Locke of Floyd, Virginia.